I'm Stephanie Irvin. Since we recorded our original conversation with Jay Inslee, governor of Washington and a presidential candidate, all the Democratic hopefuls have taken the first debate stage. So we thought it actually might be a good time for you all to hear our full conversation with presidential candidate Inslee. Who knows, maybe it'll help you make up your mind. Okay, here's the conversation. Testing one, two, test one, two. Test, test, test. You're such a pro, Goldie. Okay, I got got to get your logos facing out. I'm going to just ask you guys to keep talking for a second so I can get your levels okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and this you want to be kind of close to. You think? Yep. Okay, thank you. Just because the room's a little bit uh, me. Um, and I just need about 30 seconds to get set up. And I'll just listen and I may do some adjusting yeah. and I'll just let you know. Okay, so how should we begin the conversation? Well, I, I obviously you should welcome him. Yeah. And we're going to we want to talk a lot about um, climate and why it's an economic issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, why it's an economic I, issue or why it's an issue that touches everything starting. Well, with I economics. think that's part of yeah. his answer yeah, 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 is that yeah, it's yeah. an issue. It's uh, it's an it's an issue that touches all these other issues and that there really isn't every single other issue is yeah. kind of meaningless if you've got a planet that we can't live yeah. on, okay. right? Yeah. So even okay. the ones that seem yeah. tend, tend, okay. tenuously related, yeah. All right. I'm ready when you guys are. Okay. Okay. All right, here we are. Uh, and here we are in particular with our old friend, uh, Governor of Washington, Jay Inslee. So welcome, welcome to Pitchfork Economics, Governor Inslee. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad we have the best tines in the business at the Pitchfork. <laughs> yes, <campaign>. exactly. <laughs> they ring so beautifully. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I'm joined also by my colleague, David Goldstein. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Goldie. And so today we wanted to talk uh, to the governor uh, who is who, who hopes not to be governor in the future <laughs> and to be president of the United States about uh, mostly about uh, uh, the issue that uh, sort of frames his campaign, which is climate change. And right. uh, and in particular, wanted to expand on how climate change really isn't the narrow issue that some people think of it uh, as, but rather is the broad, a broad issue, first of all, an existential issue, but, but an issue that is broad and touches a lot of the, you know, the, the uh, issues that other people care about. Yeah, yeah, explain why you are not a single issue candidate when you run on climate. Well, uh, listen, we know a scientific fact that we are the first generation to feel the sting of climate change, and we are the last generation that can do something about it. Yep. And this is an urgent matter. We have exactly one shot to get this done. You know, a lot of things in life you can put off uh, 10 years or 20 years. You cannot put this off because the next administration is the last chance to really fundamentally save us from the cataclysmic uh, results of climate change. And so... Mm -hmm. When you have only one chance, you need to take it. And the reason this is such a universal uh, uh, issue is that it touches everything in our lives, every place in the United States, and we cannot solve our multiple desires and challenges unless this one is resolved. Because without a healthy system to support you, you can't solve your other problems. So it is the one time that we have, it is the all-encompassing issue, and it is something we've got to work together on to get done. So we need a spark of inspiration from the president. And here's the reason. Um, 
this touches everything, not just one thing. Mm -hmm. It is an economic issue, an economic issue of of destruction. Right now, we've had $1.6 billion of damage in the Midwest from these floods. I walked through Paradise, California, which is this town of 25,000. It was spooky walking through at night. That was the one that burned recently. 25,000 people. That town was totally destroyed, burnt right to the foundations. So this is a this is in the billions of dollars of damage today. That's on the downside. On the upside, I know we're going to talk about the clean energy job economy that we can grow. Enormous uh, uh, job creation inherent in this. So it's a huge economic issue. It is a huge health issue. Uh, it's an issue of, of asthma, an epidemic of asthma of our kids, of COPD, of, mm-hmm. of infectious diseases because we have these insects moving north now because the climate is changing so rapidly. It's a national security issue. We had uh, General Fallon or Admiral Fallon, uh, former commander of the Pacific Fleet here last week, and the Pentagon's tearing their hair out right now looking at the fact that we're going to have a lot more political instability because of mass migrations from millions of climate refugees right. because of desertification. We're experiencing that already or flooding. in Central America. <laughs> it gets you or both flooding. ways. <laughs> it gets you yeah. both ways. Yeah. Or famine. Yeah. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah. It's, a, it's a biblical experience that we're having right now, unfortunately. So this this is a it, it is not one issue it is all issues you know and if it, and it, even if it was one issue in one regard if you wanted to look at it that way look on december 8th 1941 the, the morning after pearl harbor would would people have accused franklin roosevelt of being a single issue you know president this is an existential <laughs> yeah, threat right. it is a threat to the basic stability of our of our nation and we we have to have a a president who will call uh, the better uh, capabilities of this this country forth to defeat this beast. Yeah. Well, but, okay, I, I want to know. Yeah. Let, let's talk talk about about. Um, I'm screwed up my question here. We'll do this over. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's be practical here. I mean, sure, it's an existential crisis, but how can we afford to save the planet and still give uh, giant tax cuts to Nick? I mean, <laughs> yeah. what, what's the priority yeah. here? Well, first <laughs> off, let's be practical. Let's not allow the destruction of the nation. That is a practical <laughs> thing. Look, when your house is on fire, you got to grab some buckets and put the fire out. And our planet literally is on fire right now, figuratively and liter- literally. And so it is a practical response not to allow your house to burn down. People say this is sort of a unicorns and rainbows. No, it's whether you're going to have a place to live. So this is a very practical thing to do. And even if you, you, you have questions about how bad this is going to be, you buy insurance for your house. This is an insurance policy as well. Uh, and as far as Nick's tax returns, look, this is also a way to bring more justice to our society. And this is really important. We know that income inequality is a huge justice issue in our society. And this is a way to embed what, what I think of as we're gonna, we have to make a transition to a decarbonized economy. And in doing that, we need a just transition, not just a transition. Mm-hmm. We have to build a clean energy economy that focuses on helping frontline communities, marginalized communities. We know that the first victims of climate change are usually people in poverty, communities of color, and we have to build a just transition to focus on that, to use this as a tool to to bring more income equality rather than income inequality. And there's yeah. many ways you can do that. We're doing that in some of the bills that we're doing here in Washington State 
right now. So this is not just an environmental issue. It is an economic issue. It is a social justice issue. And I'm really pleased that people are starting to think of it in these terms. Uh, it's going to help us get this done. Yeah, and if I, if I might suggest, I, I actually don't think of your campaign uh, or climate change as an issue so much as an organizing principle. Mm-hmm. It's simply a way of organizing your thinking around addressing the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, uh, problems facing the nation. And you can come at it, you know, you can come at political economy in one way or you can come at it another way. And using climate as the organizing principle probably, uh, certainly maybe the best way to come at all these issues given mm-hmm. given the intersection of the climate crisis and the need to transform our economy in all sorts of important ways and to bring more justice to it and uh and, uh, and more fairness so well that is that is the term i use you, you used it as an organizing principle for the campaign that's exactly the language i use mm-hmm. that we have to have this as an organizing principle for the whole federal government Meaning you can't just have one little agency checking the box right. to deal with this issue. You have to embed this as an organizing tenet of your governing philosophy. I'll give you an example. So tax policy. This isn't just an environmental issue. It's a tax policy. Yeah. And one of the first things we need to do is to stop raiding Americans' pockets to, to shell out $27 billion in tax subsidies to the fossil fuel, fossil fuel industry. Right. We need to end that gravy train right yes. now and redirect some of those funds into research and deployment of clean energy and helping consumers get access to clean energy. So uh, it's tax policy, it's health policy, it's national security policy. You have to embed this throughout your administration to get this done. And the central thing I'm saying in my campaign is this has to be job one. This has to be the first, foremost, and top priority of the United States. If it is not job one, it won't get done. Yeah. Because you have to be able to willing to spend the political capital, build the mandate during your campaign to carry it in to make it a, a real governing philosophy. And and this is one thing that separates me from the other uh, aspirants to this. I'm the only person who's saying this who recognizes what you have to do to actually get this job done. Yeah. So you know what you know, as we as we as we're talking about this, what really what really jumps into my head is the conversation we had, um, you know, just sort of bringing this whole conversation from the very abstract to the, to the concrete. I'm reminded of the conversations we had with Hillary Franz, who is the uh, uh, leader of the Department of Natural Resources here in Washington state and our joint efforts between civic, civic, uh, uh, ventures and her team to uh, to sort of address the wildfire uh, crisis that we're having mm-hmm. in Washington State, which is a product of climate change. Yep. And and what strikes me is that so you know a long time ago, if we had one forest fire a season, that was a big deal, and we scrambled to uh, to deal with it. Uh, last year, we had eighteen hundred forest fires. Uh, this year, we've already had fifty. A month before the teams were even stood up to begin to fight them, and here's the thing: is that we we're our society is already spending hundreds of millions or billions of dollars dealing with this crisis in a backwards ad hoc way, 
in the same way that we're already spending money on climate change to deal with the flooding that's happening in the Midwest or the cyclones that are happening around the world. The question isn't whether you're going to spend the money to deal with it or not. The question is whether you're going to organize yourself to prevent the catastrophes and actually extract value from that process or just deal with the crap that comes as a consequence of it. Well, you hit the nail on the head, and you know we have a lot of uh, criticism from mostly Republicans in this regard, mm-hmm. saying it's just too expensive. It's just not too expensive to stop your house from burning down, and that's the situation. Right? You, exactly. You yeah. Buy a bucket. Okay? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You're buying the bucket is the cheapest thing you can do, or Absolutely. even a hose. And yeah. so I think that is exactly the situation. And by the forest fire threat is so dire. Um, and it's so disturbing because the science predicts we will have twice as many of these intense stand-clearing forest fires. And when you go to these communities like I have, I was in uh, both Paradise, California, and Seminole Springs and talked to these families that have been burned out. I I went to a home, the Seminole Springs, a place about 100 mobile homes burned down, and these people don't have insurance, you know, for your mobile home. They're just destitute. Their whole lives are wiped out. So this is a, a very real thing to me that, yeah. that we've got to act on. And so, and so in our state, you know, we're proposing just just to analog, just to use this tiny little example to analogize to our, the I think what you're saying about climate change generally is that for a little tiny bit of money, we can stand up a much more robust, proactive response to forest fires, make sure that we have far fewer of them and that they'll. Uh, and, and that and that when we have them, they'll be put out quicker. We'll use those resources in the off season to manage the forests better, uh, so that we have fewer forest fires. And the output of that forest management, the small trees and brush, will go into industry, into these new cross laminate timber factories, to create mm-hmm. jobs and produce a product that we can use for. Uh, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So for a tiny middle, little bit of money up front, we can address a climate change issue, uh, uh, save property, clean the air, generate a new industry, and everybody's better off, right? Like yeah. it, 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 if you did that at the national scale, well, then we'd well, be in well, business. Well, Exxon's not better off. <laughs> okay, I mean, okay, again. Okay. That's true. That's true. I Exxon mean, that, is not better off. And that off. gets yeah. to, to um, I think, one of the, the challenges facing us is there's a lot of money and power mm-hmm. opposed to doing anything about climate because mm-hmm. they profit from the system the way it is. H- how do we address that part of the, the political challenge? Well, first off, uh, you say you're not taking money from the from the fossil fuel industries, and I've made that pledge. <laughs> so that's the first thing. And second, yeah. you say you're going to stop this gravy train with these giant billion-dollar uh, efforts and third, you fight back about their against their misinformation campaign. And look, they have been running the same campaign the tobacco industry ran for decades, and it's been uh, unfortunately partially effective. But now we are turning the tide in public opinion, both because people are seeing these disasters firsthand, and they're also seeing the job creation that's happening right now. Because jobs in the clean energy sector are now growing twice as fast as the U.S. economy, the number one fastest growing. Uh, job today is in solar installer. Number two is in wind turbine technician. And I'm going to testify in Congress uh, Tuesday uh, to my old, my old committee. And oh. my fundamental message is there are a hell of a lot more jobs in fighting climate change than there is in denying climate change. Or and creating I, it. Or, you know, <laughs> creating it. That's yeah. exactly true. Yeah. And that's happening all across the country. Look, you can't turn over a rock where we don't have 
clean energy jobs being created in batteries in Nevada and wind turbines in Iowa and electric cars. I was on The View uh, a couple weeks ago talking to Megan McCain. That was delightful. And she said, uh, she said, you know, you Democrats are trying to take away our planes and our railroads and our cars. And I said, well, that's interesting. I go, At this moment, I've got a shiny blue uh, General Motors Bolt all-electric drive. It was made by the fo- uh, American workers in uh, uh, Orion, uh, uh, Michigan. And the fact is that we have these products available made by American workers. In fact, they're putting on 400. The same day Donald Trump held a, uh, one of his crazy rallies in Michigan saying that, you know, this is a disaster. General Motors said we're adding 400 new employees making electric cars. Yeah. Every major auto manufacturer is now going to have a line of electric cars. So I think that this is a message that resonates with the optimistic version, too. And we haven't talked about this from kind of an emotional standpoint yes. yet. But I do believe that this resonates with the American character. That we are fundamentally an optimistic can-do people. We are the most innovative people in the world. We're, we're can-do people. And uh, Trump's uh, pessimism is not part yes. of who we are as yeah. a nation. Yeah, for and sure. You've talked about this as a moonshot. Uh, is when you're out there campaigning, do, do voters still believe in America that we can do big things like this, big challenges, rise up to it? They do. I think that fundamental character is is there, but you need a spark. It's like anything else. You need a spark, and you need presidential leadership to create this vision, to give people hope. When I was in Seminole Springs, one of the things they said, hey, you've brought a little hope to our community. Presidents need to do that. I saw this in my own life when Kennedy says we're going to the moon and back in 10 years. And so I think that spark is what the nation needs right now, and I think the nation will respond uh, the public perception of this is changing dramatically. What used to be a graph on a chart is now uh, mm-hmm. a picture of a town that's burned down. So yeah. public perception is ready for this if we have that inspiration. And I think, frankly, America's had a belly full of the fear and, and insecurity of Donald Trump. You know, he's fundamentally an insecure person. We need someone with a little confidence of the American character to build a new economy. So I think we are ready for this. And people have said, well, geez, you know, uh, we can't decarbonize the economy in 10 years. And they want to quibble about timelines. I mean, when Kennedy said we're going to the moon in 10 years, did anybody sitting around and say, oh, no, I think it'll be 11 and a half. So, yeah. so let's not go. Yeah. No, we want to create a we want to push the go button on this revolution. We know it can happen. We know it's going to be a hugely productive thing economically in jobs, and we know it's going to be good for our kids, and it's a moral thing to do. Look, I marched with these kids who went on this climate strike. I was in New York, and and, and they were marching right past Trump Tower holding up their sign saying, there is no planet B. You know, Donald Trump, let us breathe. This is a moral obligation. You cannot be a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or a, or a neighbor of a kid and look them in the eye and say, I'm not going to do anything for you. So I'm happy about it. Nick Nick has given me the high sign to quit pounding the table. Yeah. I, I get uh, energized about <laughs> yeah. this message on occasion. Hey, you're learning how to do podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I am. I sit on my hands. Uh, yeah. <laughs> podcast 101. Sit on your hands. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so let's get into uh, a, a little bit of the specifics. Uh, we hear a lot, you know, Green New Deal, you're running on climate, you want to make it the top priority. You've talked about how we need to shift from a carbon economy to a carbon-free economy. And whenever you have big disruptive changes like that in the economy, there are 
winners and losers, and that's what make, gives a lot of people fear that they'll be the losers. How do we go into this? What do we do to prevent there from being losers so that everybody comes out of this a winner, not just in a cleaner, safer planet, but also economically, the, uh, the, the folks, the out-of-work coal miners, the uh, folks in the fracking fields and so forth, to be able to reassure... The senior executives at Exxon. Yeah, I'm not as worried about them. <laughs> but sure, even the senior executives at Exxon. How, how do we make sure that there is economic justice and inclusion uh, in, in such a disruptive program? Well, you think about it, number one, and we think about doing everything humanly possible to smooth any such transition in difficulties. So that means you focus on making investments in communities that might have that type of dislocation. You focus on your infrastructure investments in those communities that might have that dislocation. You focus your education and training opportunities to really embrace people and put your arms around them and give them every single scholarship under the sun. You create tax systems that help communities that might be able to have a difficulty in that regard. So you do all those things that will, as I've talked about, to have a just transition, not just a transition. But if you really think about it, when you look backwards in time and you say, did the transition from the horse-drawn economy to the steam engine really destroy a lot of lives? It really did not. And one of the reasons it did not is it didn't happen over a 24-hour period. Yeah. This is not going to happen over a 24-hour period. Yeah. Uh, transitions do take some years, and people accommodate their ambitions in this regard. And so this is not something where you're just going to turn the lights out overnight. Right. And so people do have time if you help them through these transitions. And I don't think anyone now would say, no, we should, you know, we should not have gone from horses to steam engines because we will have some transition. We are all going to have better lives ultimately by going through this transition. I am convinced of it. Right. I mean, li literally, the transition from horses to internal combustion was a 20-year period. It happened yeah, in two decades. It, we're talking about over a several-decade period decarbonizing the U.S. economy. Now, it has to be several decades rather than several centuries, yeah. or our goose is cooked. Yeah. And we got to get started right now. If you look at the IPCC report, uh, what they have made clear is we got to start right now. We just do not have any more time. By the way, this is one of the reasons why I think we need to end the filibuster, because we are not going to be able to move this yeah. through the legislature if we don't end the ability of 40 yeah. Republicans to stop all progress. And I'm the only candidate, which is actually a little shocking to me, who's willing to say that. Yeah. Look, you're not going to have health care. You're not going to have climate change. You're not going to have anything as long as we give this senatorial privilege. And, and so far, I'm the only candidate. Yeah, it's uh, not, by the this. way, it's not 40. It's one. Right. <laughs> yeah, there right? you go. You know, just you one, go. one angry old white guy. There you go. <laughs> there you uh, go. Can stop anything. It, yeah. It's weird yeah. that all those senators uh, are uh, post-ending the filibuster. So senators, <laughs> some, I don't want to disparage senators, of course, but, you know, you do some get. Of our Best friends are senators. <laughs> you do get a custom. <laughs> you, you do get a little happy about that senatorial privilege, and that is can, that you cannot allow senatorial privilege to stand in the the chance that we're going to save the planet. Yeah. And this is you know because again we got one shot, so uh, I've taken a firm position on this. By the way, before I forget, uh, for those who might be listening to this, if you share some of my ideas, I hope you will help me get this message onto the stage during the first debate in June, which yeah. takes 65,000 people to send in 
somewhere between $1 and $5,600 to <laughs> jansley.com. And I hope those who are interested, yeah. if there's anybody with a dollar in your pocket, jansley.com, if you can send in a dollar to that, that will uh, hopefully right. get us on the stage in yeah. the next debate. So right. e- thanks even, for that shameless plug. No, 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 I appreciate e- that. E- and, and I'm going to add to that. Even if they're not ready to support you, even oh, if you're correct. not, even if, if you're not their first choice, because you're the only one who is running on climate. And I'm afraid if you don't, if you don't get onto the stage in June, that's going to send a message to all those senators that maybe climate is something they don't need to talk about. Yeah. So that would be terrible. I I agree with that assessment. I think have this flag on the debate and have it succeed is very important on the messaging part of this. And, and, you know, look, everybody says is checking the box on climate change running for this on the Democratic side. But checking the box is not enough. Uh, You have to put your weight behind it. You have to put your priority behind it. And I know this because I've been a governor. Now, that's also relatively rare in the field. So I've governed, and to govern is to choose. So this is a unique position, and I agree with you. It is important that that message be on the stage. And I agree. Look, there might be multiple candidates. You can send a dollar or two to have these messages. I guess what you're saying is we're, we will accept polygamy, not just monogamy in this situation. <laughs> They'll both be yeah. successful yeah. Uh, to make sure this is on the stage. Yeah. We're just going to hold there. What, what else should we talk about? What what have we missed? I think that was pretty good. We have to take some time. Well, here's one thing I would hope we can talk about. Yeah. Is like, you know, why do I think I can get anything done? Which is the Washington story. If I can just talk briefly about it. This is why why I think we get things done, because I've done X, Y, and Z in Washington. So, Jay, what, what gives you confidence that you can get this kind of stuff done? Well, a lot of folks have talked about the things we've talked about, but it's fairly rare of actually getting it done. And, and I've been able to get a lot done in our state to help create a really an economic uh, miracle in Washington where we're yeah. listed as the best place to do business by Business Insider magazine and the best place to be an employee by Oxfam. That's a really unique twofer. And the reason, part of the reason we've had this incredible GDP wage and, and job growth yeah. is because we've embraced policies they really help build a middle class rather than the, the trickle-down economics of, of right. brand X. And so the kind of things that we've done, I've just seen tremendous things that I've, I've been able to get done in yeah. the last six years. Look, we've got the best paid family leave, medical leave, in the nation, the most robust. We've had one of the greatest uh, uh, increases in the minimum wage, thanks to Nick and Goldie's leadership yeah. that has demonstrated that we can raise wages and actually increase jobs. Yep. Look, the place with one of the biggest... Wage increases on minimum wages, the state with the greatest job creation rate, for yes. goodness sakes. Yeah. So this These is a, two things are connected. This is a template for success, as <laughs> yeah. you've pointed out. Yeah. They're, not a, a, they're, they're not a reason for failure. They're a reason for success. Yes. We've embraced and I've signed the first net neutrality bill in the United mm-hmm. States as governor because I recognized the threat to our freedoms on the Internet a long time ago. We've got the best voting rights bill to fight Republican voter suppression. Yeah, We're, we probably have the best voting system in the country don't um, you I, think? we might be tied with or arguably california and oregon okay. so we have some but but since i'm running for president i will say ours is the best yeah. How's that? Hard, hard, yeah. hard to do voter suppression in a vote by mail system yeah so we need to we need to have, the ballots are free to mail in and we, we yeah we have to have remote voting yeah. for all Americans. This yeah. is a civil right issue. Because yeah. as long as you allow an elected official in you know a small, say, southern community, 
decide where the voting machines go, yeah. they're not going to go where Democrats or people of color live. Yeah. Okay, right. so we have to give everybody the right to vote by mail like we have, and this yeah. year I paid for postage, yeah. as you know. We've got a big, huge success on transportation infrastructure. Right. They can't build a birdhouse in D.C. We've got $70 billion of work, right. and 70% is in public transportation. We had a huge increase uh, on our educational front with 8,000 more students in early childhood, 20,000 more students with with great financial, we got the richest financial aid program, and one of the proudest things is I finally got a, a, a wage increase for educators to keep right. them in the classroom. So you ask why I'm confident we can do this, it's because we've actually done these things in Washington State. What everybody's talking about in the Senate, we've done in my state. Right. And so I believe that we can expand opportunity. And it's while we've stood up for basic values. I'm proud I was the first governor to stand up against the Muslim ban. Uh, I'm proud to have spoken out against the horrific child separation policy, and I've already had one confrontation personally with Donald Trump in the White House where I told him he should quit tweeting and start listening to educators, yeah. <laughs> and his idea to arm teachers was just nuts. <laughs> so we've also passed some of the best gun safety legislation, again, yes. thanks to Nick's efforts. And, um, you know, I lost my seat voting for the assault weapon bill right. in 1994. Yeah. Now I'm a governor and a, and a potential president to advance common sense gun legislation. Yeah. So we've got this record of achievement that is unique. Uh, governing uh, is an executive function, and, and I've demonstrated that executive function that we need in the White House, particularly after the chaos uh, of these folks right now. Look, Donald Trump and his crew, they couldn't run a two-car funeral. It's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. So we need executive experience to it get that job done. It is the keystone cost. I can't yeah. believe you want to uh, impose this dystopian economy on the rest of the <laughs> yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, are, what is the country going to do with a $15 minimum wage and high job growth, high wage growth? Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. It's this the, is communism. It's, yeah. it's, it's the nightmare that we all, the Republicans all dread. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Can I ask you something? You've been in Congress, like particularly on climate. Do they really not believe in science? So this is an interesting uh, psychological discussion, and I'll just tell you my theory on this. Uh, not really, because it, it, it is self-deception. Self uh, Republicans have been self-deceived on climate. Uh, it is not for lack of scientific literacy, and that's the thing that's stunning. You have Republican members of Congress who, who you know, have become dentists, have become physicians. They had to take physics. <laughs> they had to take chemistry. Yeah. And so how is it possible that they would deny climate science? And it is pure self-deception because in their minds they think, I have to deceive myself, at least publicly, because if I admit that this is a problem, we'll have to have some community community response to it and that will by necessity involve some governmental activity because we have to have some communal response to this and they can't stand the thought of the community uh, instead of giving 27 billion dollars to their oil company buddies will actually help subsidize to some degree solar panel companies they can't stand that thought and so it's just a it's a pure self-deception and it's very regrettable because in the rest of the world, this is not a partisan issue. Right. Uh, the conservative parties around the rest of the world yep. have embraced this as well because they understand it. So it's, it's, we're hoping this is going to change. I keep waiting for Teddy Roosevelt to emerge, and we open our hands to Republicans to come to the table on this. Hasn't happened yet. Until then, they simply need to be removed from public office. And thank good we did that last fall, whereas Democratic yep. chair, I won seven new governorship. We flipped seven seats. Five in the Midwest. By the way, Nick, you want to you ask why I think I can get this done? 
Well, when I was chair of the Democratic Governors Association, we flipped five seats in the heartland. We won Wisconsin, right. Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, Kansas. I know how to win right down the heartland yep. uh, by making sure we have messages that resonate with people. And so I feel very confident about winning this thing, too. And, and, and let's be clear, $15 minimum wage, raising the, the federal minimum wage, that resonates, yeah, even the, in the heartland. You betcha it does. This has a huge success and support by the American people. They understand that. There's other things that resonate. Decriminalizing marijuana resonates across the United States as well. Another issue where politicians, particularly Republicans, are behind where the people are. Yeah. And I'm for catching up where, where the people are, which is higher wages, more freedom and protection against intolerance. And that's a fundamental message that I think everybody can embrace, certainly yeah. our party. So I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Don't forget to vote. Great, great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Governor, you. Governor, uh, President, soon to be elected, maybe? Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, listen, you go to jansley.com yeah. and we can make this happen. Okay. At the, right. at the very least, coming. get you into that debate. There yeah. you go. That's the first step. All right. Right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Great. All right. Thank that was you. a treat. Thank you for coming in and doing it. Thank you. What? Yeah. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Try to avoid the table. I've never seen this. This is okay. great. <laughs>